you are more than the PC. You are the parent. You are the friend. Um, with limitations, of course. But you are more, you're always going to be more than a, um, a teacher. Because the relationship you have to establish with these, with, you know, with these kids in order to get them. You have to find a way to really build these relationships. And that was the thing that I struggled with my first year. I didn't, I didn't grasp that um, importance of establishing relationships. It's the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, hosted by Demiso Josie and Mr. Kareem Spence. Stay empowered. Stay empowered. All right, welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Demiso Josie, and I am honored right now, to be honest with you, and, and, and I really feel good the fact that I was able to link up with this brother, somebody that I feel like our paths have crossed, or at least uh, you know our passions and our careers have crossed in so many different ways, and he's doing some great things out there in Philadelphia. Um, and he was on some other podcasts. I was like, yo, man, you, you got to stop being selfish. I need you on my podcast, too. So I reached out, made sure, um, you know, he was able to, to bless us with his presence. Um, but when you talk about, on the Primer Perspective Group, we talk about um, finding your gift. And then I think the gift is something that comes naturally and easy to you, that you don't have to really think about it. And I spent a long time in my life fighting my gift, which is part of the reason why I was at, working in ESPN and ABC. But my true gift, I thought, was a gift of service. And, and you know, it kind of led me this path to education and, you know, public speaking and podcasting and things of that nature. And I kind of feel like this brother that I have on today kind of walks that same path. And I kind of feel like he, he talk about somebody that's leaning into his gift right now. And I think this is really, really something that we need to discuss um, on this particular podcast. This is season five of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. And again, we're about bringing you useful information and, and powerful people. So I would like to welcome everybody uh, and welcome this brother to the show, Mr. Vince Simmons. How you doing, sir? I'm doing wonderful, man. How are you? I can't complain, man. It's election season going on out here. There's craziness going on out in the world. So as we talk, we sit here watching CNN and watching these numbers fly across the screen as well. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that a little bit too, but... Um, uh, I had the, the pleasure of working with you at, at ESPN. We met in Connecticut. Um, and to be honest with you, when I first walked in, I think you started before me, but um, yeah. when I first walked in, it was like, it wasn't too many. I felt like that, that scene in Spike Lee's movie, how South, I mean, no brothers up on the wall, right? So I go in there, and it was like, there wasn't too many of us in there. I think it was maybe four of us that was uh, working in there. And, um, yeah. you know, naturally, once we started talking and getting to know each other and found that you were from Philadelphia, which is a hop, skip, and a jump from where I'm, where I'm from, and we just kind of connected a little bit there. I want to go back, though, to why did you choose that route to go into television? How did you land that in, in, in ESPN? And then we're going to transition and talk about that transition. So tell us a little bit of how, why you even, was that always the path for you? I'll be quite honest with you. Um, when I was in college and I took a, um, a definite unique passion and uh, a, 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 I'm sorry, a unique um, path to get to how I ended up in broadcasting. Um, originally, when I first got to college, um, I was considered a lost soul. I was going to play basketball, but I didn't really know what I really wanted to do with my career. And then all of a sudden, because I, I started out at a junior college in upstate New York, and I end up working, I end up just started coming down to the campus radio station. And next thing you know, I, it started, I started to have fun. It would turn into, you know, start having a little radio show, um, started getting into a little bit of producing, trying to get other people into, involved in radio. And then I started taking TV classes, and I realized, you know what? It started. I started having. I started to have fun here, so I started to feel like, okay, this is a path that I, I may want to actually pursue. So after I, I graduated from community college in, in New York, um, grad, then I moved on to Manchester University. Um, got off to, I, you know, I get, 
was at a bad start, you know, because I was there, but I wasn't focused. I was focused on the social life. And as a result of it, I ended up getting academically dismissed from the university for about a year. So that year I was working two part-time jobs, you know, barely making like $200 a week. Mm-hmm. This was, and just remember, just remember this. This was back in 1994, 1995. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to figure, trying to figure all that out. So know, let me so pause, pause you real quick because I want to talk about your high school experience because I find it interesting. What do you think was missing from your education that didn't prepare you for, for, for college at that point? Or was it just something, other circumstances that were going on? Was it, or do you feel like the, the high school could have, what area could they prepare you to, to not have such a rocky road and in, in experience in college? Um, I think it, it was more about me than anything else. It starts with me. My focus was not really there as far as taking school seriously. But at the same time, too, I didn't have the guidance um, to or got the best advice or had nobody to really show me, okay, the path that I need to take in order for me to be successful. Mm-hmm. So there was really nobody around for me to, 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 show, to show me that. Gotcha. All right, so you're now in college. You're, you're, you're dabbling with this entertainment slash communications career, and then – then what happens after that? Once you once you graduated, um, talk about the process of how you landed at ESPN. Okay, well, uh, in the summer of 1996, I landed um, a summer a summer job at a camp in Maine um, called Camp Cedar. Um, one of the kids that I was I was working with, his father happened to be. Uh, the vice president of production um, and vice president of production uh, of ESPN. His name was Howard Katz. And his son, Ravana, he had a great, you know, we had a, we developed a great counselor uh, kid uh, relationship and he was going through some troubling times. So his, his dad was so impressed with me, you know, for helping out his son that he found out that I was you know, in production. And so he gave me his, his card to say, hey, call me when you graduate. So I sent my resume, um, but, you know, about my, I sent my resume about, you know, to ESPN to him. And he called me and said, if I don't hear nothing within a week, call him right back. So it was about a week and a half. And I called him back, and they, and then about an hour after I made that phone call back, the manager, the man, one of the managers of production, called me, and wanted to get scheduled for an interview. So I flied up there for an interview. Uh, well, after I drove up there for an interview, and then I came back with the job. I think that's an important piece here, and we always talk about the the power of networking. And 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 ESPN really taught me that. And I wish I would have known known it when I was in college. Um, but yeah. I found out that you know working next to people that were history majors, they didn't even major in television. So mm-hmm. the ability to network, if I could tell any young people anything, your ability to network is so so important. Even whether you you know you stumble upon it like you did, or if you, and especially today, it's a lot easier because you got social media, you got your mm-hmm. network to be crazy right now, right? You know what I mean? So those right. are the spaces that, you know, if you're young people out here that's listening to this podcast is that you need to build your network in order for you to be able to at least get into the room to have those conversations. So I think that's really an important piece there. So you got the job at ESPN. Um, what was your, your, your role at that particular time? Um. I landed a position as a mass control operator, and those who may not be aware of, um, I tell my I tell everybody, the mass control position is considered like the last line of defense before it goes on air. And, you know, uh, we're responsible for the make sure the audio goes out good, make sure the video goes out good, uh, make sure we communicate within uh, between production and satellite uh, transmission department, make sure the connections are good. 
Um, so everything goes through us. We had to make sure the right commercial goes to the air. And if it doesn't go the right the commercial go, right commercials go to the air, we just cost the company some money. Yeah. I remember a story. I remember we were uh you might not have been on the shift with me, but the show outside the lines was on. And we mm-hmm. were off the air for like seven seconds. But that seven seconds mm-hmm. was during the commercial break. And I think it was a Pepsi ad, if I don't if I remember correctly. And that company lost so much money. And I remember people got fired over that. Like those seven seconds. I don't think people understand how cutthroat TV was. Like so you either built for it or you're not built for it. You better be ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when those those moments come in. That that seven seconds is crazy. Um it's it's very important that those um like you really have to be alert. Now, I'll be the first person to admit, mass control is, it could, you know, when there's nothing going on, it could be the most boring job <laughs> on, the, on the planet. Yes. The most boring job on the planet. So if you're not live, and you're running nothing but tape programming, that's when you really can mess up. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's when, good. Yeah. It's when nothing's going on. Uh-huh. So you, everybody's not built for this. Matter of fact, it's not really. I'll be and I'm and I'm and I'm be honest with you. I was blessed to be able to do it for fifteen years, mm. but I shouldn't even have done it for no more than two. Mm. Mm. Because it's not like if you're talking about trying to move a career. Um, I reached as far as I go, and then at this point, it became a paycheck. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And I think something you said kind of it fits with life, right? I feel like when there's nothing going on in your life is when you mess up the most. Understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I feel like you know we talked off the air like how busy you know life is and stuff like that. But when when you're busy and you're moving, you know you don't have time to really make stupid decisions. You know what I'm saying? So I think you know just having that experience. But you're absolutely right, man. I remember being in there in days of just like. You know, I'm sitting here watching it. You get assigned a network, and I watch this this network. And if it was like dog racing or something stupid, like you know, mm-hmm. team program, like come on, man. Like, did I really spend all this time in college to sit here and watch TV? But I got paid for it too. Exactly. A lot, yeah, a lot of people was like, "Yo, it's ESPN, you know, sports." You know, da, 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 da. I said, "Y'all don't understand, though. Like, it's it's a job." You, really, you you really don't. People don't really really understand. They look at the land. They 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 see the four letters. Right? They think like, okay, you make a lot of money. Well, people don't realize, okay, the longer you be there and the longer you're in that one position, the more difficult it is for you to move mm-hmm. or to transition mm-hmm. to another opportunity. So now your salary becomes higher. Mm-hmm. Where another, where if you're trying to pursue an opportunity in another department, may not want to take advantage of you. Yeah, and that's it, you know it, because you make because you make too much money. It's the same thing in education right now. I mean, I, as an assistant principal right now, I'm almost to the point where I'm pricing myself out. I would actually have to take a pay cut in order to move up, uh, and, you know, and administrate the ladder. So that's that's a tricky, mm-hmm. tricky thing to to balance. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, the name was great. It was cool to work there. We was working with a lot of young people, and it was definitely a, a nice space to be in. Um, and then I went on and went to ABC while I think you were still at, at ESPN. Yeah. But I kind of felt like... I have to this. Say it again. I had to share this one story with you. With yep, you go ahead. You, okay. Uh, when I first met you, right? Uh-oh. I thought you were... I thought you... I thought you were so mean. <laughs> you had to look like... I, 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 I'm talking about... Bro, will you smile for once? Yeah. I was like, oh, will you smile? I was like, yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, but, my- but I was glad I was so I, I was glad I was so wrong about you though. <laughs> Thank you. In my defense, though, I was fresh out of college. You know what I mean? I was living in my first space in an unknown. I've never been to Connecticut in my life. Um, mm-hmm. I was out there by myself and working those shift hours, as you know. You know, my, my mm-hmm. hours were 4 a.m. in the morning at 12, so it wasn't, and, you know, I had off Tuesday, Wednesday, so I was, like, borderline depressed, miserable, you know what I mean? But here I am working for ESPN, and I'm supposed to be, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like, I can't believe, like, this is my life right now. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that was kind of, like, how I felt through a lot of it. And I was only making $28,000 coming out. I mean, this is back in the day. Now I'm exactly. looking at it like, 
how did I make $28,000 work? You know what I'm saying? I had apartment, card, <laughs> bills. I was like, how did that, you know what I mean? I laugh at that $28,000. Yeah. I spend that in two weeks sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> but um, I, I got a feeling, and I don't know if you feel the same way. Like, did you feel uncomfortable in, in the space that you were in? Like, what led to the transition? I, I know for me, like I said, I kept fighting my gift. So I would always try to find volunteer opportunities. I got into coaching a little bit while I was up there. And I kind of was just like, you know what? It's time for me to just, I got to stop fighting this thing. So what led that transition for you to, to, to leave that speech? Um, I'll be quite honest with you. It took me a long time, a really long time to fight that speech. But what the indication that I did was um, I met, um, what, what did it for me was, I guess, my first year. I found I, I, how I landed, I got into, into coaching. But it just happened to fall on my lap. I was at church, mm. and there was in a, in a bulletin, it said, looking for a JV uh, boys basketball coach. So I went to the church office and inquired about the position. They gave me the text me the number. And next thing you know, I got into um, the school called the Master School in West Sinsbury, Connecticut. And we, you know, I was there, and then I got the job as a, as a as a boys um, JV basketball coach, and I was there for three years, you know, helping the varsity team uh, also win uh, Christian school championships. Um, we were definitely going in definitely going in the right direction. Then all of a sudden, you know, I was at a crossroads myself because. Um, I've actually took an opportunity, you know, like I, there was an opportunity. I met some, I met my first wife mm -hmm. and I was at the same time too. I came across an opportunity to move to Atlanta. Then I had took the opportunity to stay in Connecticut. Was, is it because I found at the time I found love mm -hmm. and found family. And so that took precedence at, the, at that time. Mm -hmm. And then, as you know, I got married, and then my career kind of put myself at halt. Now, mm -hmm. I was able to increase opportunities for coaching-wise, but the job at ESPN became a job. Mm -hmm. You know, I was getting raises every year. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't really, like, you know, I got comfortable. Because it was, it it was a job. job, but not a purpose. Exactly, exactly. So I decided to, you know, so, and then when I was thinking about doing something else, you know, I was kind of being convinced that, you know, I need to stay there, you know, we can't afford to leave because now family came to play. Hmm. So I can't especially uproot and change careers or do something that I really want, you know, or think about doing anything else. So I just accepted that. And then, and about... 2000, 2011, you know, I you know, got divorced. And then my mom in 2013, well, after 2012, I actually left ESPN. Mm. Well, unwillingly left ESPN. So basically, they let me go. Mm. And so in 2013, you know, I didn't, didn't have a job or anything like that, but I was still coaching. You know, you know, I was still coaching, got involved in other different high schools, AAU programs, and I was still in 2012-2013, I landed a head coaching position at Lincoln College of New England uh, as a women's head basketball coach. You know, that was still a part-time, you know, still part-time position, whatever. And then all, my mother, as I said, all of a sudden my mother got, you know, was really battling cancer. Mm -hmm. And so I made the decision to come home, came back to Philly. So I ended up back, I ended up trying to move, to, move, to move back to Philly because there was really nothing going on. Right. You know, my, my time at ESPN ended, no family, divorce. So it was like, okay, I need, I now it's time, I need to move back to Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Kind of re, regrain those roots, you know what I mean? Go back and uh, reground yourself a little bit and, look for those opportunities that are there. Um, so then you got into coaching while you went back to Philadelphia? 
yes. Um, I landed a, um, a assistant coaching position, assistant women's coaching position at Arcadia University. And I didn't think, and that was actually, and I, and I like to share the story that I find that position to be the most rewarding one for me. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is because I had no connections. I had no one to lobby for me. It was straight resume. Mm. I did an interview. And she, on her own accord, out of 35 people that um, interviewed for three coaching, assistant coaching positions, right? I end up with one, being one of those assistant coaches. So I had no hookup. Right. So, so I value that that experience for that one year. That it's an opportunity. So while I was doing that, I took a job with FedEx. And so I'll get into that in a second. But that one year was so rewarding for me. You know, it was great, such great experience. I tell you what, I ch- I cherish that moment out of all my coaching years. That was the one that signified the most. So. Going into going into that, I had an opportunity with an organization called Philly Triple Threat, which is AAU program, one of the top AAU programs in in, in, Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania and around the country. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy named Eric Morley, who was the executive director, gave me blessed me with an opportunity to coach one coach the ninth grade team, and then I started you know coach the, coaching there. I was there and I was there for. Um, Six, seven years uh, coaching, helping out with the program. And then next thing you know, I was at a, I got in the crossroads as far as coaching-wise. Um, I didn't know sure that that's just something that I really wanted to do anymore. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, an opportunity for me to join the Philadelphia Reign, and it is, which is a uh, women's professional basketball team and reaching, you know, looking for uh, was per, a, a, a community liaison. Uh, so I tra- I was able to transition to out of coaching to administration. Mm-hmm. And also I'm, always, I'm also on an executive for the Philadelphia Reign. Um, basically my responsibility now is to do stuff like this. You know, do interviews, um, get get the Philadelphia Rain um, name out there, um, develop relationships with people in the community. You know, set up community events, and it's been really, really. It, it gave me my fuel back, my desire to be to stay to stay in basketball. So my transition out of coaching now to an administrative role. Mm-hmm. With a with a with a upstart women's professional basketball team has been tremendous. So you've had experience coaching boys and girls, um, sort of like myself as well. And I have my own feelings about coaching boys versus girls or women at this particular point. What do you think is the difference between the two? I, I know how I feel. I want to hear how you feel uh, <laughs> the, the difference between coaching the two. And then we'll get back to the Philadelphia Rings. Um, I had a good experience with with coaching boys. I never thought about coaching girls when I when I got into coaching. And then all of a sudden I'll tell you I end up coaching girls. Um a guy named Kevin Walton, who was my stepdaughter at the time, um, girls basketball coach. He asked me to coach his summer coach their summer league team. And I was and I was I did one thing I did I didn't want to do was coach my kids, mm. no, and, and no matter and no matter what level, because I don't want to. Uh, I like to just enjoy being dad. I, I didn't want to. Co- I didn't want to coach. You know, I don't want to coach my kids. Mm. So, so I end up being coach. You know, coaching girls, and that's you know, I've been doing nothing but coaching girls ever since. <laughs> I don't know anything else. Right. Yeah. But to answer your question about why the difference, um, the boys, the the boys level is you know they more athletic of course. Um, they you know they look at more flash. 
and so forth. I find them to be a little bit, they're a little bit more hard headed. <laughs> the girls, um, they listen, they listen more. Um, they're more fundamentally skilled, you know, because they know that's what they have to rely on. Right. So I'm not going to say they're easy to coach, but I will say that they was a little bit more, um, more disciplined. Completely agree with, with that. Um, you know, coaching boys, they everybody was going to the NBA, of course, and everybody at the time, you know, AI had to cross them, so everybody wanted to do the cross, so I'm going to the league. Um, but now when I coach, I'm at Brown University coaching their women's. Um, they're, mm-hmm. it, they're doing it for the pure love of the game. They're just doing yeah. it for the pure love of the game. They, they mm-hmm. enjoy being in the gym. They enjoy each other. They listen, like you said, uh, where these guys, everybody wants to, you know, like, they, like I said, everybody's good. Everybody should be starting. Everybody should be doing, you know, uh, going to the NBA. And I, it just feels good to be around a bunch of people who love the game as much as I do. You know, my personal relationship exactly. with basketball, basketball saved my life. So I'm just going, you know. I'm the same I'm, way. So. I'm the same way. It saved, it saved my life. It saved, you know, it benefited, I benefited from the game of basketball. Like I said, I was – a kid, um, I was the guy on, in high school. I was the guy on the bench. Okay, I went to Dobbins Tech. Okay, I was the quote unquote 11, 12th man on the bench. You know, and I and to the day at 48 years old, I have no shame of that to say mm-hmm. that because I because my message to everybody is is that I love this. I did it for the love. I didn't do it because um, yes, you want to be a starter. You wanted to you know, impress people. You want to move up at the same time, too. I did because I loved it, mm. you know. And if I had to sit the bench or whatever, okay, fine. I, that, I, I've maximized my ability to the best, the best that I can, and I have no regrets about it. Let's talk about the Philadelphia Reign a little bit more. Like, where do you guys play? Uh, how long has this, this been around? Let's talk about that uh, league a little bit more for our audience. Okay. Well, the the W the um, the Philadelphia Rain is and well, actually, this would have this this season would have been our third season, but because of COVID, our season got canceled. Well, it got canceled. Uh, we play out of the WPBA, which is the Women's Basketball Professional Organization. I'm sorry, the Women's Basketball Professional Association. Okay, um, there's about eight teams in the league. Uh, most of the teams are down south, and we actually are the first um, women's professional team in Philadelphia in the last 20 years. Wow. We, I didn't even know they had, had a, a professional female team in, in Philadelphia at all. Remember, well, remember when the WNBA came out? Mm-hmm. Well, there was another uh, professional, professional women's team called, I believe it was the ABL. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, they had teams around the league. They would, you know, even and at that time, they were making more money than the WNBA. Players were making more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the league wasn't making any money. So they ended up having to shut down after a couple of years. Gotcha. So the one thing that we had to, re- we had to remind ourselves and that the, in order to, in order, the league has still has to make money. And you much as you want to pay players, but the league also has it has to be a balance. Mm-hmm. The league has to the league has to make money in order for the players to to make money. So, so now we're you know uh, upstart uh, women's basketball league. Uh, two, I believe two years ago, um, the team went undefeated. Um, and we're still, as I said, I said we'd love to have played this year, but due to COVID, we right. were not in, in, the, in the play. So right now we're playing it for the um, 2021 season. Gosh, you got you, got you. So in this time off, we were able to do many fundraising events, um, not only fundraising, but also community events. Um, back in September, we did um, – a back-to-school backpack drive. Uh, we gave out. We went down Nice Town and distributed out over um, Nice Town in Philadelphia. Uh, we gave. We distributed out over a hundred 
uh, backpacks with supplies to kids in the neighborhood. Uh, we also in October, no, actually, I'm sorry, in September as well, we participated with wethevote.org uh, into a voter, a voter registration drive down in, in South Philadelphia. And now we're also working, we also just did, we just got finished completing um, a t-shirt drive. Uh, we, you know, like we did a set of a custom ink because, mm -hmm. um, you know, one thing that so find so that we can stay above float financially. Gotcha. Uh, we sold over 150 items in a combination of hoodies, um, t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, short sleeve shirts. We ran that drive for about four weeks, and then we ran, we was able to raise money, and also through the money that we raised, also able to help out. Um, to, and get to stay involved in the community as well. Is there a website or a place where people can get more information about Philadelphia Rain and possibly getting involved in some of your fundraising uh, efforts? Yes, it's www.philadelphiarain.com. All right, definitely check that out. Make sure you doing some, they're doing some wonderful things down there in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, Parliament Perspective Group will check y'all out too. Maybe we can link up and do some things. We have our holiday drive coming up too. So uh, maybe there's something that we could do there. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit because you are in mm -hmm. Philadelphia. Um, you've mentioned community and things of that nature. And if obviously if you've been following the news um, over the last couple of, actually months, really, there's a lot of things going on in Philadelphia. Um, and it's obviously a topic that's near and dear to my heart, obviously. Um, being a black male in a society and mm -hmm. something that's going on. Um, just talk about, because uh, I, I, you know, I'm not physically in Philadelphia, but talk about right. some of the things that's going on and what's, like, where are you mentally right now um, in, in the state of what Philadelphia is, is, is going through? Um, I'm mentally exhausted. And it, I'm saddened, I'm heartbroken. Um, Doc Rivers, who's now the 76ers basketball coach, said this best. We as black people love this country, but we don't feel love, we don't feel the love back. And I'm and I'm paraphrasing what he says that. A lot of times I don't feel love back mm. when I see what's going on. You know, with the police brutality, um, but at the same time, I'm also heartbroken because of the our young black kids getting killed by this black on black crime. Two major um, situations, and I want to make sure that I have this opportunity to mention this whenever I do an interview. Um, one is I'm devastated by the, the death of, I believe the guy's name is Russ Carter, who was a graduate from Simon Grant High School, who was, who was, who was murdered, you know, you know, you in your own neighborhood and you happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and you get killed. This guy was on his way to play college basketball and he, he loses his life. A senseless, and that that saddens me. I'm heartbroken by that. And then another one, another kid. I heard her name is Jasmine Waters. Okay, and she's driving. Twenty years old. She loses her life because a senseless ignorant kid. With, with guns. She can't even drive her own neighborhood. Now she's 20 years old and a parent has, has to bury her child. So I follow her mother on Facebook. Every day she's screaming for justice for her family. And so I would not be doing a service if I don't mention that, if I don't mention that in any opportunity, I get a chance to speak. And I hope one day that she gets, you know, she, she can find peace 
a mother and her family can find peace in both families, but also at the same time, too, they can find justice mm-hmm. as well. Sure. Um, but the, at the same time, I want people to understand this, too. We can't be outraged about um, police, sh- police shooting and not be outraged about black-on-black crime mm. as well. It has to be both. But we have to stop killing each other. That's facts. So how can we expect other people to love us if people see that we don't love each other? Mm. That's facts, for sure. I'm so gonna... that's a- that part right there, it bothers me. <clears throat> As it should. It, it, really, it really does. So when I think about it, I said, we got to be just as outraged. We got to protect our neighborhoods. Mm. You know? Mm. I'm talking, like, I, I teach seven, seven, eighth grade science. Okay? And I'm telling my students every day, I'm giving them the floor to speak and see how they feel. I got one, you know, and also, too, um, there was another murder um, by the name of Walter Wallace Jr. And the one of the things that really hurts me, if I, I'm actually seeing a video of the being murdered. And kids are terrified. Like, my, like my students are terrified because they live in West Philly. Mm-hmm. They're terrified what's going on. Mm-hmm. They don't feel safe. And I don't care what anybody says. Can nobody justify tearing down your own neighborhood? Mm. Can nobody tell me otherwise that you it's okay to tear down your own neighborhood? You know, that's never, never the answer. I look at all of this and I remember growing up and seeing violence and kind of becoming numb to it. And it's kind of was like, you know, that's just kind of things that happen, learn how to maneuver and, and things of that nature. But now I'm, you know, middle age, I feel like almost ashamed of myself because I'm not, I feel like I'm not doing a good enough job leading today's youth in the right mm-hmm. direction if this is still going on. Like, I, I, I mean, I know I'm one person, but I, I feel like the burden is on my generation or our generation. And we're, we're not doing a good enough job of providing opportunities for these young people, providing a, a, a right perspective on, on, on life and, and living by a different code and different morals and principles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like these kids are fending for themselves almost. And, and, and when you have a young brain that's out there doing that, on top of a society that's looking at you like you're an animal, what mm-hmm. do you expect them to do? How you what do you expect them to behave like? You know what I'm saying? Right. I, and I feel guilty, you know, which is part of the reason why I do these podcasts and do my speaking thing is that, and the large reason why I'm in education is it's because they need that guidance. They need that our generation to make this happen. Like these are the, this is the fruit of our we raise these kids, right? This is this is right. Our fruit, right? So it's mm-hmm. right. There's a lot of rotten fruit. There's some great ones out there too, but we got a whole ourselves accountable too as as parents to these children um and it's on a broader scale this COVID thing too and being in education i'm seeing how poor of a job we are doing with parenting these kids it's terrible absolutely absolutely and that's the part that's one of the parts that really um bothers me because like i'm dealing with kids every day about you know account teaching them accountability like as teachers, and you you know you've doing up you've been doing a lot. I've been blessed to do this for almost going to, for, for officially December will be officially two years for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I've been blessed to do this at the same time as a teacher. You're more than just a teacher, mm-hmm. especially in the inner city in the inner city school. You are more than a teacher. You are the parent. You are the friend. Um, with limitations, of course, mm. but you are more, you're always going to be more than a, um, a teacher because 
the relationship you have to establish with the with you know with these kids in order to get them. You have to find a way to really build these relationships. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that I struggled with my first year. I didn't understand, I didn't grasp that um, importance of establishing relationships. So they can feel comfortable coming to you so they can know who you are and so that in order to get in order for you in order to get them to do what you want need them to do in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. So now in my second year, because I focus on establishing those relationships, I'm able to get them to do the things I want them to do. And you know, so that like when they're assignments, I'm able to get them to do their assignments. Um, they're more inspired now because now you are already established a relationship. They know who you are. They can come to you about anything. You know, at the same time too, you hold, you have to hold them accountable too mm-hmm. when they when they do wrong or when they do mess up. So they they want this, you know, and and a lot of and a lot of kids, they don't have that discipline at home. I believe personally, kids want to be disciplined. They want they they want structure, and it's hard if they don't have that structure at home. But so they have so school is is and this is the thing that I'm understanding about not being in the building is that they they. When they're in the building, a lot of kids that's it. That is their structure. Mm-hmm. That is their, that actually that is their safe haven. Is is at school. Yep. And them not being there, it took away that safe haven for them. You know, and that's the part that I miss. But at the same time, too, we still have to be safe. Uh, we also have to be, you know, we can't put our, you know, we can't put our health at risk. Mm-hmm. And I know we're getting into about the election and so forth in a minute, but um, this spot, you know, we have to make overall, we have to make sure that this, the, build, the building stays yeah. and we are going to come back in the building. I think the one thing that you hit the nail on the head and we talk about all the time in the prime perspective group, especially when we talk with teachers, I'm a firm believer that 95% of what we do is relationship building. If you don't mm-hmm. establish that relationship, I mean, I can even extend that even as a parent, <laughs> it's relationship building. <laughs> even as a boss and an employee, it's relationship mm-hmm. building. Whether you're president, mm-hmm. it's all relationship building. And if you can't mm-hmm. get to that, that space, um, you're never going to be able to connect with people. Um, you know, well, you probably see my Facebook posts. I'm always with, with my children, and I'm always establishing a relationship. Yeah, beautiful children. Thank beautiful you. children, let me tell you. Thank you. I, but, love, I love seeing you with your family. Thank you. I um, realize that my greatest investment in life as a parent right now is my children. So what I'll do is I'll invest in them, not only financially, but I'm investing in them and their, their education. I'm investing in the time that I spend with them. Uh, it's all relationship building. So they can come talk to me when it's difficult things. They can come lean mm-hmm. on when, when they need it. But, and I get that a lot of people are, you know, trying to survive. You're trying to put food on the table, but there's time for you to build relationships. You make time for what you want, you think is important. You know what I mean? And right. if you don't do that, these kids, they're going to be left to their own devices. And this is what what happened? It's crazy. My daughter, my daughter is, my daughter is, um, she's 31. Okay, I have a 31 year old daughter. Okay, we were just talking like the other day, and like, and me, I run across cleaning. I have to, I'm a, I run across disinfectant wipes and cleaning supplies all the time, and I had to share this story with you real quick, right? And so, my daughter tells me, you know. I can never find, I can never find cleaning supplies. I can never find disinfected wipes because she lives there. And so I said, I'm sitting, I'm looking at, I'm looking at myself, right? I said, I got like a closet for cleaning supplies, disinfected wipes, disinfected spray. Cause you name it, whatever store I got it from, you name it, I grab it. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't need it, I'm buying it. Instead of it happens to be, if it happens to be there. Okay. I said, how am I going to have all this stuff and not make sure my child is good? Mm. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So right. you know what I, so you know I'm talking with my wife. I said I said I gotta I said I gotta make sure we gotta make sure that you know my you know my my I gotta make sure that my daughter is has her supplies. So you know what? I grabbed a I grabbed a bag, a bag I grabbed a shopping bag, got like all these different supplies, you know, stuff out my closet that cleaning supplies, disinfectant wipes and all that stuff. And gave it right, you know, and, and took it right down to her house. She she was amazed on all that stuff I got. And I said she didn't she didn't expect me to give her that. Much. I said, hey, I'm gonna get you whatever you need. Right. Like you you 31, mm. but you still mine. You still mine. Mm. So my message, my message, the 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 the, 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 I, the purpose of the story is, and this is something that I shared. You know, my mother did with me before she passed away in 2017. No matter how old you your child is, you're gonna always be dad. Mm. You're always gonna be mom. So you're gonna always wanna make sure your children are good. I'm doing a disservice if I don't make sure my child still is is good. So when I see her struggling, or when I see her, you know, in in me, it's still my responsibility mm-hmm. to make sure she's good. So that was the that was the more purpose of the story. Great point. I'm gonna get you what you need. That's that should be the slogan of every parent out there for their kids is that I'm gonna get you what you need. Um, I just want to transition real quick before we wrap this up because I'm still sitting here looking at this this election and these numbers coming across <laughs> the street, uh, which is crazy. Um, I I'm really. I don't know how to feel about it. Like, I, I obviously I know who I want to win, but not necessarily because I really like the person or not. But I'm really concerned about the um, climate of this country, depending mm-hmm. on how this unfolds. Um, I'm, I'm really concerned about that, and I'm more I'm more concerned about it for my kids more so than anything else. Um, but. I, I don't, I don't know. It's just a weird feeling that I have right now. And it's kind of like this COVID thing and this election is, is showing and letting people show their true colors and how they truly feel about certain things. Um, whether you're blatant about it or whether you're silent about certain things, uh, just talk about your general impression about everything that's going on involving uh, this election right now. Um. I'm in the last four years has been nothing but embarrassment by our government. Okay. And the lack of leadership in our government. Okay. Um, one of the things that I believe personally that with this whole COVID, we lost too, way too many lives because of lack of leadership. Mm-hmm. And so, I personally believe that when a person is not doing their job, then you got to go. Just like if me as a teacher, if I'm not doing my job, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to fire me. They're going to take the steps to fire me. This person, you know, and the president of the United States didn't do their job. Mm. So I'm a firm believer that if you don't do your job, then it's time for you to go and get new voice and get a new voice. Now, if this person doesn't turn if this person doesn't turn out to be to be fine, then we vote them out too. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we also got to remember, we can't always just vote for. We can't be too, we we're concerned about who the president of the United States is, but we can't be that can't be our primary focus. Our primary focus also has to be in our local elections and our state elected, state officials, because they're the ones really on a day to day we deal with the most. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. One of the things I, I would employ people, especially young people, um, I'm not a big fan of complaining about stuff and not trying to do things about it. Um, mm-hmm. So if you want to see change, whether it's locally, in your neighborhood, in the country, you've got to be in the arena 
and those spaces to make that happen. Voting is great. It's a great thing. You definitely should do that. But if you really want to see change, you got to be a part of the system that you want to change. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason why I got an education. Um, you know, if you wanted to, you know, see police reform, you need to get in those arenas. It's easy to point the yeah. fingers outside and, you know, and complain about it, but it ain't going to change unless you get inside of it. And one of the biggest things is that a lot of people feel like um, that they're oppressed. And I said, well, you, you, the, you're basically asking the person that oppresses you to change the oppression. It doesn't make any sense, yeah. right? So you need right. to get in spaces. And, and if you really feel like you, things need to change, you know, it's time to make that change. And I think this is a young people's movement. And I think mm -hmm. this is the perfect time for that to happen. But, and some of us older people need to get out the way too and let some of these younger people get in, like kind of like you do in your classroom, and let the kids voice their, their feelings and their concerns and, and take, some of, take some of that leadership as well. So I, I do think that's... I am, I am so proud of our young folks taking the, stepping up and taking the initiative to say they had enough. Mm -hmm. And another thing that, that also concerns me too is that the kids have had enough and they're taking their own path to, to, to create change. I also believe that because of we fail to lead them. Mm -hmm. And they tired. Mm -hmm of nobody's looking out for them. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm seeing from these, from these kids. This is my observation. Here's, of a, what thing, here's a beautiful thing of it, because I look at, I, I study hip hop, I'm, I consider hip hop my culture, right? So mm -hmm. if you look at how hip hop started, these were kids that created this beautiful culture and art form out of a necessity because society said you can't do these things and because you can't get into these spaces, they created something not only for themselves, this is the biggest, probably the only cultures that I know that embraces other cultures across the globe and they created this beautiful thing out of this necessity. And these were young people. These were 16 years old, created a billion dollar industry that's self-sustaining, mm -hmm. that has so many messages and so many things and things that's going on in it. Um, so, you know, the, the young voice could be very, very powerful if we let it be powerful, right? And, 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 and we need to guide it, yes. We do need to have some facilitation in that, that realm, but we don't need to take it over. Let them have their space and let them have their voice. That's absolutely, absolutely. I want to switch gears one time, and and now you like to have a little fun on here, so we don't have to, we don't have to do this if you don't want to. I'll put no, I'm no, I'm all in. All right, I'm all in, brother. Do you have your cell phone with you? Yes, I do. All right, here's a, this is what we do, and again, you can back out any time. Once you mm -hmm. go into text messages, I like the number mm -hmm. three. Count down to the third person, the last, the, the third person that you had a text with. If you could give them a call, and I'm going to ask them a very simple question. I'll, and out of fairness, I'll do the same thing. I'll let you pick the number. And I'm going to ask them a very simple question if they answer. Mm -hmm. Put them on speaker. And let them know okay. that you're on the podcast, and this is what, what's going on. All right. Well, let me pull, let me pull up. Okay. Um, let's see here. Let me, pull my, let me give my sister a call. I got a tattoo take. Hey sis, how are you? Hey, what's going on, bro? Not much. Um, I'm. I need. This is not to put you on. I don't mean to put you on the spot, okay? But uh, huh? I'm doing a live podcast right now, right? And I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing an interview right now with um by my man Demiso Josie and you're with us right now okay and he has a question he wants to ask you can, can, can she hear me no just go along with it. this is all fun this is a very simple question I just need two yeah. words two words that you would describe Vince that describes Vince two words oh boy um, loving, um, and compassionate. 
reason why I do this oftentimes is because a lot of us, we don't get to, to hear and, you know, give people their flowers while they're, you know, still living. And nine times out of ten, I <laughs> hope they would have something positive to say. So uh, you, you hopefully you may Vince feel good about those those positive words. So we're all about empowerment here. So I, I thank you for for taking the time and, and and giving us those those two words. I agree with you one hundred percent. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all. All right, thank thank you, sis. I'll call you. All right, you're welcome, bro. Right, okay. Bye bye. All right, man. Out of fairness, give me a number. <laughs> Jordan. Jordan. You hear me? Was that? Give me a number. I'll do the same thing out of fairness. Give you a number? Yep. Um, five. Ooh. One, two, three. Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> this is a good one. She answered. Dr. Dahan, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am on a podcast, and you just did this. So he picked five. You were the, the fifth person in my text that I've talked to. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it right back to you. you, got, you I'm glad I answered the phone correctly, okay? <laughs> <laughs> now, this is somebody that knows me pretty well. So um, that, give me two words. To describe me and be nice, please. <laughs> I would say um, amazing and um, very, very um, generous. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate those kind words. I think you're lying, but. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, awesome. So this is Dr. Dahan. If you haven't checked out our latest podcast out there, we got it out there. We talked about um, English language learners and also brain-based learning as well. So that's out there. She started season five. Thank you, Dr. Dahan. I appreciate you. Uh, always, Amisha, Dr. Josie. Thanks. I'm glad I was honored to be the one on the list. <laughs> All right, <laughs> right bye-bye. All right, man. One more time with uh, Philadelphia Rain. What's the the website so people get more information about that? Okay, it's www.philadelphiarain.com. Okay, you can also follow us on Instagram as well, and you can search for Philadelphia Rain, and then we're also on Facebook. Okay, we also have a Facebook page, uh, Philadelphia Rain. Awesome, awesome, man. Keep doing those things out there, man. I'm proud of you, man. I'm, I'm uh, the honor and a blessing to to get to know you. Um, definitely got to spend some more time together, but, um, you know, Absolutely, because um, yeah. let me just say this real quick about, about you, man. I mean, like I've watched you, you know, we know each other for a very long time. You know, I've watched you really follow your path. You, you continue to, uh, bless all of us with your gifts. And I, and I watched from afar, even though we don't talk as much as we used to, but I, you know, but I'm like, every time I see you with your family, every time I hear about the things that you're doing, it has nothing but a smile on my face because saying, man, that's my brother doing greatness, man. He continues to be great. And I just wanted to, to let you know that. Now, I appreciate that, man. The feeling is definitely mutual, man. So um, anybody that's out there, man, if you've got good friends, make sure you reach out to them and see what, how they're doing, especially in, in, in the days and times that we're living in right now. Just check in. Just check up and see see how they're doing. And, um, you know, give them some kind words because everybody needs some some loving right now. It's a sad, sad state of things right now. So some good words will go a long way. Um, just some empowerment perspective things. Again, this is season five, and I promise you still working on getting those young voices on. So if you know any young people that are willing to talk about their educational experience, um, but you know, dealing with COVID, they want to talk about elections, whatever you want to talk about. I want to give young people in this season space to talk about anything that's on their heart. Because um, again, we definitely need to be here to support them and to lead them in the right direction as well. Um, we also have been working on our fundraiser coming up, our you know our holiday drive. It's going to look a little different because the COVID thing, so we can't really do the toy drive thing. So I'm trying to figure out how to how to make that happen for Chop. Um, as those of you know, uh, we do support uh, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, specifically their pediatric cancer um, 
unit because um, something very near and dear to my heart. Um, as many of you know, my nephew is, nephew is a cancer survivor. So we try to bless families during the holidays um, with that. And we also have our turkey drive um, for South Jersey, dropping off some turkeys and, and things of that nature. So um, as always, man, again, Vince, has been a pleasure. Definitely stay safe out there, man. I definitely appreciate you, brother. Um, and, and, Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on, man. Just continue to be safe. Um, I tell everybody, please wear, you know, please don't be stubborn, wear a mask, you know, make sure you social distance yourself. You know, yes, you want to give people, you know, when you see people, you want to give people hugs at the same time too. You gotta, you gotta do the protocols so that you can be able to continue on seeing those people for a long time. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I might mask up even when this is over. I'm going to be masked up forever. <laughs> Walking around with masks. <laughs> so until next time, everybody stay empowered.